Well, here we go. Welcome back to another edition of Light Beer, Dark Mending. I'm Chris Clements. I'm Sean Noble. And uh, we're back ranting about the things that we care about, the things that concern us, the things that we see in everyday life that just either makes sense or doesn't make sense. Mostly doesn't make sense. Mostly doesn't make sense. And uh, I'd like to draw a little attention to our local university. Uh, uh, not the one where we broadcast Grand Canyon University, which is doing amazing things. We're happy to, that they're hosting us here, and we want to give a shout out to everyone that makes that happen here. Yeah, um, and and we are we do record this at Canyon Ventures, which is their entrepreneurship incubator here. And uh, but uh, one thing that we've noticed is you know there's no one's wearing masks anymore. It's pretty open, and. Uh, and Grand Canyon has, has, has pretty much set out that they're, they're going to be at full capacity this, this fall, and they haven't put out any restrictions that, that, that we've seen, and, and, and they're moving forward like this, you know, the pandemic is, is behind them. Right. You can't say that about ASU, <laughs> unfortunately, which uh, last week issued a uh, sort of a, a, a list of guidelines for, for those who have been vaccinated or not vaccinated, and and those those guidelines included daily testing, weekly testing, masks for those who were unvaccinated, um, which which called into question the um, you know what do you do with people who have had COVID? And I've said right. this on the on the on the podcast before that if if you've had COVID, if you're considered COVID recovered, uh, your immunity. You know, both your antibodies and your T cell immunity is just as good, if not better, than anybody who's been vaccinated. So, um, if, if if a student does not want to submit themselves to a, a vaccination, um, or 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 any of those protocols, can, can they get some sort of waiver? That was not answered in in the list of recommendations or right. edicts. Um, but what, what what was really interesting about well, let's that. back up for one oh, second before up. we get there, because yeah. this is how crazy, in my mind, this is how crazy the ASU plan was. Even Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, who has done a lot of things wrong, evidence is... But he would not admit that. Well, true. <laughs> His he, mind, he's done. He actually said something he's like last... the greatest governor ever. Yeah, he said something last week that actually made sense. Somebody asked him about, well, are you worried about people who are not vaccinated? He's like... Well, I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. What are you worried about? If someone wants to be unvaccinated, that's their problem. I mean, probably the first thing he said since COVID that made any actual common sense. Um, Now, I'm sure there are people on the left who would disagree. But, you know, the point is that if even liberal governor Andrew Cuomo understands, hey, I'm vaccinated, I got nothing to worry about, then there are students that are vaccinated and want to be vaccinated and staff that is vaccinated want to be vaccinated. What are they worried about? Yeah. Why would they have a vers- any restrictions on people who are not vaccinated? That's their problem. Yeah. Well, the counter argument is, is, you know, they require vac- a number of vaccinations to be at school in, anyway. And, uh, and so that's what they're saying. They're saying, well, we, we require these anyway. So for COVID, we're going to try to be consistent. Well, I think there's a but, difference between a vaccination against measles and smallpox. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and polio versus, versus COVID, and, uh, um, which has proven to be a 99.9% survival rate. Yeah. So, no, I'm in agreement with you on this. I don't, 
I think, though, there needs to be a continued push and understanding of those who have had COVID are immune. Right. And, and the growing studies coming out every week are, is showing that. And, and that's where I think we're going to see much more pushback um, with some of these, these type of edicts, mm-hmm. some of these type of restrictions. But I cut you off. You were then leading to the point... Well, well, the the other point was um, the the governor got involved, Governor Ducey, and and sent out some or some tweet about or or a, a statement about these restrictions, and um, and then issued an executive order basically banning those restrictions of any kind, which led to a lot of questions, which I think are valid. Um, First of all, I think he was he was right to question, mm-hmm. but was he right to g- give the executive order? And in this, in the now in you know where we are now with the pandemic, you know, should his executive authority to do such things be rescinded? And I thought that uh, Robert Robb um, with the uh, Arizona Republic had an excellent op-ed piece on yes. this that. That basically said that his, that under our constitution, Arizona constitutional government, that, that the governor really has no authority over ASU, has no authority the board of regents do, and has has other than him bestowing upon himself emergency powers, um, really shouldn't shouldn't even be wading into this issue. Right, right. Well, it, it raised I. So this is, I guess. I had not even realized that he had not rescinded the emergency edict that was put out when this all went down a year over a year March, ago. March of 2020. Yeah. And that made me stop and think, well, why? What, what's the point? I mean, we're beyond the, emer- the emergency. Well, the and po- then the what's whole- the legislature doing? Well, <laughs> what does the legislature ever do? Um, but this is this. It would seem to me when you have a number of people who have been very, very critical of the governor and his handling of the pandemic, rightly or wrongly, that this would be like job one when they when they showed up in January. It's like we're going to rescind the emergency authority, or at or, least I know there's a bill pending to revise it. But at least by by a unanimous consent, rescinded. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we are, we are, you know, the pandemic is in the rearview mirror. Yes, there's still people that are getting sick. There's still people getting hospitalized. I, I don't know that we've had any deaths recently from COVID. I, I, I actually don't know. I haven't. It hasn't been reported on. Um, but the whole point of the emergency declaration in March of 2020 was, if you recall. To make to bend the curve to make sure that we had capacity in hospitals, we had ventilators, we had beds. Well, that's not even remotely an issue now. No. So the emergency order should be rescinded. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for it. Well, if, and if you look at what the emergency order was was used to do, um, you know, to identify essential or non-essential businesses yeah. that could stay open or be closed. And many of those non-essential businesses are never coming back. Right. Um, I, I thought that far exceeded the authority. Yeah. Of of any executive that, well, and that that's not 
That's, and, and that's not just in the state of Arizona. For, for any, any governor to, to decide by edict or by fiat, you can exist, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, why was... You're essential, you're not. Why was Target, Walmart, you know, these big, big box stores essential, but the mom and pop places were not? Exactly. Um, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And it certainly doesn't make sense that this, that this emergency order is still in, in effect. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. it uh, the governor um, should rescind it. I mean, yeah. he, should, he should absolutely... The, the, the legislature should do their part um, as they're still in session. Well, I, I mean, and, if, and if he doesn't rescind it, they should, they should pass a bill that says, we're t- you know, we're this is over. It. Yeah, this, this is, is over. And, and by the way, we're going to limit your authority in the future. Yeah, there definitely needs to be reform to emergency powers. I think that's got to happen um, because uh, we were lucky that Governor Ducey was the governor when this happened, and it wasn't Fred Duvall or some other Democrat, and I'm going to be partisan here, because the Democrat governors across the board were much more restrictive and much more damaging to the economies of the states where there's governors that are Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. And governors who are Republicans. So um, we need to, you know, this has nothing to do with Governor Ducey. This has to do with governor, the power of governor, and it's not supposed to be that powerful. Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree with you. There was a lot of things that Arizona got right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and keeping us out of the ditch. Uh, if you look at Michigan, look at—I mean, look at what California is still going through, mm-hmm. and and the people there, um, and the business. How many businesses? How many restaurants and bars and and other types of businesses have closed, never to be reopened? Right. Because of the type of political favoritism that was adopted across the board, from the governor all the way down to the mayors. Yeah. Just a, a complete disaster. Now they're sort of, kind of, maybe opening. You know, I mean, June. I 15th think for the most, the most part, California is. Lots of Californians are, if it's not open, open. They're acting as if it's open. Yeah, having been over there, it kind of depends on the county that you're you're in. Yeah. So uh, we were. I, I think I mentioned before we were over in San Diego a couple weeks ago, and uh, we went to an outdoor mall. My kids and I. Everybody was mass outside. Yeah, that's crazy. and it was kind of bizarre. But but uh, like a couple months before that, we were up in Ventura County up at Thousand Oaks. Nobody was mass, right? And nobody cared. Well, we yeah. were over really briefly. We did a Father's Day trip over and did the beach at Newport, um, and very few masks. Yeah, Orange County. Yeah, but also after the fifteenth, so there was a sense of like, oh, it's gonna. You know, things are opening up more and, um, you know, no requirements to wear masks when you go into the hotel lobby, which was nice. You know, nice to be able to. Yeah, <laughs> you would think. Because I, I didn't even take a mask. I forgot to put it in the car. So it was good. Yeah. We didn't have to. Um, but speaking of California. Okay. You had something else on your mind. Today. Oh, well, you know, because of this, the shutdowns and the... Uh, kind of draconian actions of the California government, in addition to, I would say, 20 years of failed economic policy, Hmm. high taxes, high regulation, uh, 
um, fires, brimstone, lack of power, yeah. <laughs> rolling blackouts, uh, you know, basically floods, anything that could go wrong, floods, go wrong. earthquakes. <laughs> so we've seen a mass exodus from from California, and um, it, it's been hard to measure. Um, people have different estimates of how many people are coming here, economic circumstances, what have you. But I found that there might be a great way to measure this. And that is because uh, my family and I, for Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there listening, um, attended the Arizona Diamondbacks Dodgers game on, on Sunday. And in the past, when the Dodgers would come to town, there were, there were, you know, Dodgers were well represented. Yeah. For sure. It has completely changed. It was a sea of Dodger blue to where it was a, it was a Dodger home game. <laughs> and, and the Dodgers prevailed nine to eight and they swept the, the series. But it reminded me of going to early Diamondbacks games to see the Cubs. And it was the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there were more Cubs, Cubs fans. fans. Right. It was all Cubs fans. And that had to do with a lot of folks from Illinois who moved here, who both vacationed here and then moved here in the 70s and 80s. The Cubs became a very big thing. And they've, they've also had um, spring, training here. spring training here for years. This was along those lines. There was probably 20% more Dodger fans than Diamondbacks fans. And the Diamondbacks fans were upset. I mean, they were, <laughs> we had some people around us who were very angry that they were outnumbered. And, and, and but this is a growing trend. Yeah. And I think, I think if that's any indication, um, by this time next year, if, or in, in two years, I mean, it will be fully a Dodger home game. Yeah. I and mean, that has to do with, with, I mean, what we, you were just talking about the, uh, the policies that have been pursued in, uh, in California have been, truly detrimental to, to everyone up up and down the economic spectrum. Right, right. And and so we're seeing that that influx. Now, will they bring their politics here? Yes, most invariably. Hopefully they bring a better perspective. I think, uh, yeah, I, I the way I've characterized it is that I'm not afraid of the import of Californians to Arizona as long as it's people who came here because they came for a reason in the sense of stuff in California was too much, we got to change our life to make it better. If they were relocated because their job, that might be a different story. Like if they're in the tech industry and it's like yeah. they're at Silicon Valley, they're now in Phoenix or Tempe or Chandler, they're probably less likely to be adopt the Arizona mindset. But I think those that that said, I've had enough of California and the the BS, I think that they're they're likely to be vote more like traditional Arizonans, I think. You would hope. I mean, I think that's how it happened in the Midwest. Um, when, when we had the influx of people from the Midwest, Chicago and other yeah. places, um, they definitely adopted an Arizona mindset. It, well, the one caveat I'll say, and, and this is, I'll get a lot of criticism from some people on this, but um, the Arizona of the 1950s, 60s, even 70s, was very tolerant when it came to immigration because we had the Bracero program. You know, there was a lot of flow back and forth across the border. Oh, sure. Because, you know, we had workers that came across for the day, they went back. Um, but 
as Midwesterners came to Arizona, this was foreign to them, and there was fear. Mm-hmm. And I think that that changed the immigration politics because we had people who did not have experience with the Hispanics and Latino population. And so there was this fear that then over the course of 10 to 20 years changed the way that we viewed immigration. I never thought of that. That's that's interesting. Because I mean, we didn't have, per se, an open border, but but from a commerce perspective, mm-hmm. from a from a worker perspective for, for, for decades, I think I think you characterize it correctly. People would come across, they would work, they'd go back. Yeah. I mean the reason that the, I mean part of the problem is that that we have a failed system, immigration system, in the sense that if you are an unskilled worker in Mexico and you're twenty years old and you want to do this legally, it's gonna take somewhere between thirteen and fifteen years. Sure. Under the current visa situation. Well, no 20-year-old guy who needs to survive is going to wait that long. They're going to cross the border sure, illegally, especially if they've got a family. Um, I mean, I'd, I don't begrudge any of those people because I'd do the same thing yeah. if I was trying to find a better life. But from a public policy perspective, do you think there's some validation that we're, we're offering them a lot of free stuff? Well, yeah, we've, 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 we've sweetened the pot. We've sweetened the pot significantly. There's significantly, because no it used to be. Um, that you, the, the people you were talking about would come across the border, they would stay with family, they would work for a season, and they would go home mm-hmm. and be with family. Right. And so th- there was a symbiotic sort of relationship, especially in Sonora, with Arizona. Right. It just, it just, commerce just happened. And you had, you know, you know, we used to joke about this in my old life, you'd have you know, you'd know somebody who was working the the border station who is a family member, and they you know let you in or be able to to bring things across, and that's just what happened. Yeah. Well, and you then, know, the, and then that became demonized. That well, became it, looked down it, upon. It was the, the the demonization began with labor unions. I mean, people forget hmm. that in 1984, Reagan ran on a a platform of amnesty. Mondale wanted to prevent anyone from gaining citizenship over time because of the labor unions, that it was an anti-labor position, anti-union position to be for amnesty, which is what Reagan was for. (laughs) I mean, so on the issue of immigration, the Republican Party has completely well, it, it's it's been all but over a lot the of the place. circumstances. Have yeah, well. it's been all over the place. I don't know how we we pivoted to this, but I'm glad we did. Um, it's been all over the place, but 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 even more important is, I think what you're seeing in Texas. I think what you've even seen in Arizona. As as the Democratic Party moves so far left, especially on social issues, the Hispanic culture, in and of itself, is innately conservative mm-hmm. on both social and economic issues. Yeah. And um, and I think as if we can tell that conservative story in a, in a much better way, you're going to see people questioning, you know, where they vote, how they vote. Right. Who's who's running on what? Yeah. We've already especially saw, we already saw on the social issues and and you're seeing that in Texas, you're you've seen that in Arizona. And and you've seen um, You've seen a complete shift, and uh, and we need to continue to do a better job of telling that story. Yeah, 
Agreed. You had a third thing. I had a third thing, but it had nothing to do with any of this. I That's wanted, fine. I kind of wanted to talk about sports. Okay. Because we haven't really talked about sports in this. In, in That's this true. Um, and uh, there was a there was a ruling that came down yesterday, the NCAA. Um, and I, I haven't read the ruling, but basically, there's been this this question whether the NCAA can influence whether um, student athletes are paid or not paid or incentivized, and um, and basically, I think the ruling was very narrow that 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 schools can sweeten the pot for for recruits. Yeah, and it through different means, not necessarily by direct payments, but by you know additional scholarships, you know additional additional sweeteners. Yeah. What was interesting, it was a 9-0 decision. Yeah. Unanimous, yeah. which I thought was fascinating. And and both, so Gorsuch... We've had a couple of the, the last two weeks. Yeah. He, Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, and then Kavanaugh did a uh, concurrent on it. Um, and the, basically the, the pullout quotes that I saw were that for the NCAA to say that they're, you know, they can be immune from labor practices and basically have students work for free mm -hmm. because that's the way it always has been. doesn't fly yeah. anymore. Yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah. No, this um, was a long time coming. Long time coming. Yeah. I've never been a big proponent on, on students getting paid per se, but I am a big proponent on students, student athletes being able to work and get, and get paid. And 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 be able to do internships and make a living and not have to worry about jeopardizing their scholarship or their right. eligibility. Um, states will figure out the payment issue one way or the other. Well, I'm assuming. I mean, what the and the likeness issue. I think that was always a big, big right, thing. right. I think that's a big deal. I also I, and I don't know whether this is, applies to sponsorships, but I, I mean, if some company wants to sponsor. You know, if Nike wants to say, "Hey, this college guy is or woman is awesome," we're gonna, we want to sponsor them. They should be able to do that, or they should be able to sign a letter of intent for that sponsorship if and when they graduate or anything else. There shouldn't be any restrictions on that, and they should be able to accept limited amounts of gifts or yeah, or what have you. And and, and the problem, yeah, the problem is, is is that the NCAA, I mean, college sports has become. I mean, it's it's basically you know the minor leagues, for but it's the major leagues when it comes to revenue. Yeah, and and the question becomes: Should you know the student athlete share in that revenue? Right. That that uh, I mean, these colleges that enriches those colleges. These colleges wouldn't be able to sign these TV deals uh, without great athletes making it fun to watch the sport. Well, and 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 you're seeing that with. The expansion of the um, the football playoffs to a twelve team playoff, right? Which anyone who is against that, I would just please let me know <laughs> as to the reasons What's why. What's wrong with more football? <laughs> because because anyone who could make an argument that four team playoff is somehow deciding who the true national championship is champion is when you've got several. Um, Several conferences left yep. out of that discussion. Yep. Um, Larry Scott came out with sort of an idea, uh, who's the outgoing uh, chairman of the the Pac-12, that the the top the the Big Five conferences should have automatic bids, um, and he got blasted for that. And I actually agree with that. 
I think the big five conferences generate the majority of the money right. for for the NCAA. And of course their champions should have automatic bids. Of course they should. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? I mean, it's the way it is done in professional sports. I mean, the division winners go, (laughs) and then there's a wild card. (laughs) Yeah, so of of course they should. Um, But in the meantime, you still have uh, colleges uh, playing games with with NCAA, and we saw that here in in the last two weeks with ASU now under the threat of sanctions because they were recruiting players during the COVID pandemic when they <laughs> there was a blackout until June 1st of this year, which I did not know that. That's so the blackout crazy. basically mandated that there are no on-campus visits. Wow. And ASU orchestrated, I think, 30 of them, both, on, both within the stadium and on practice and what have you. And uh, having, having seen this rodeo before with, with my alma mater, the University of Southern California, there's this thing called lack of institutional control, right? <laughs> which they they basically threw at USC for uh, for the Reggie Bush issues right. and, and for some issues with with uh, um, Ed Orgeron and 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 others and uh, and this pretty much smells like lack of institutional yeah. control, yeah. And so you have two two universities, two of Arizona's universities that that potentially are, are going to be sanctioned. Arizona, of course, because of Sean Miller and, and Pooh Richardson and, and their antics. Um, those, those, those sanctions have not come down, but you know they're coming. They're coming. And, and he was fired appropriately, I think. Yes. Um, for the fact that they're coming down, they need to go in a different direction and, and have some transparency. But do you think that this is all because of coaches institutions just think just wanting to ignore the NCAA not seeing it as a viable body anymore I, I because mean, the reaction of the the ASU AD really seemed that way yeah hey we're just moving forward this is nothing and yet you have other coaches within in the pack actually being very vocal um, uh, th- that they knew that ASU was doing this and and they're glad the NCAA is stepping in. Yeah, because they didn't have the wherewithal to do it themselves. <laughs> Perhaps, or they're trying to actually run a clean program. Yeah, um, and I, you know, I it may have been a a calculated risk strategy on ASU's part that said, "Look, we're going to do this because we don't want to miss out on opportunity, and whatever sanctions we're going to get is probably less damaging than missing out on top recruits." Yeah, I don't know. That might have been the thinking, or uh, yeah. Apparently, there's or some... maybe it's look. We don't really know what COVID. You know, these it might have been just this is stupid. These restrictions are dumb. So, so we're, we're going to do a, what, yeah. whatever we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm that's, sure that's what that's what it seems like. That's what it seems. I'm guessing like there the, are like the AD is dozens saying. of programs. You're telling me that Auburn or Alabama or Florida State that these guys weren't doing this kind of thing? No, come on. NC, no. UNC, yeah. I mean, I don't. My my niece, um, doing props to her, Kennedy. 
she just finished, uh, she was at the Olympic trials for mm. swimming. Um, she is 17 years old. She was the fifth, sixth, sixth youngest swimmer out of 1500 at the time trials. And, um, she, her backstroke is her, her game. That's hundred, hundred meter and 200 meter. And, um, she won her, well, in the hundred meter, she placed 20th overall, which was pretty awesome for a 17 year old. And then in the 200 meter, she won her first heat and went into semifinals, um, didn't make it, didn't make the top to cut. Obviously she's not going to Tokyo, but, um, yeah, it's just, a lot of opportunity. Just be in the discussion. Yeah, I mean, just to right. be in there and Pretty have the awesome. opportunity. And she's sixth. Yeah, so sixth hey. youngest. So she'll be. Uh, and and the good thing is that you know that's only three years from until twenty twenty four for the next one. So she's excited. But speaking of, she's going to NC State on full ride. Um, they were recruiting her. She went and did a visit during the pandemic. Yeah. So I don't know what. I mean, obviously it's been going on. Sure. I mean, she visited a bunch of schools. Okay. Well. <laughs> maybe swimming's different than... Yeah, maybe swimming's a bit different than football, um, which, yeah, it is. <laughs> doesn't really generate it's a not ton the of revenue. revenue. Not the revenue. But, uh, but, but it'll be interesting to see what, what happens before the season starts and, and what, what comes down. Because I think, I think ASU wants to get this out of the way and get it behind them. And there might be... Uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a forfeiture of, of, of post postseason play, but they might have to give up a couple scholarships and, and what have you, which draws into question whether NCAA right. has the authority to do something like yeah. that. That's a good point. So their authority is being questioned all over. All over. All authority. All, all authority is being should, questioned. Should be questioned. Question authority. That was a thing, right? Yeah. Question authority. Growing up, question authority. Yeah. Especially when they're shutting down your business. That's right. Or telling you you can't recruit. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good All place right. to end it. Good rant. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.